0: Brilliant. So it's uh, so good to be with you. My name is Paul. Um, I'm one of the pastors here at King's. my privilege to be um, opening up the Bible to you today. Um, We're continuing our our unlikely series, I think I'd call it, in Leviticus. Um, We're doing six weeks as we work through this Old Testament um, book. And I call it an unlikely series because if you've ever read the book, you're generally quite pleased when you've got to the end of it. Do you know what I mean? You, you, you read your way through and you're just pleased. Good, I've arrived at the end. Hopefully what follows will um, be a little easier to stomach. Um, and I wonder if I've probably got the most disgusting bits of that book to preach on this morning. So um, I think we're going to have some fun Um, I think you'll see me squirm a little bit up here, which is, I guess, not a bad thing to see uh, one of the pastors squirming. But I really do hope and I really do pray that as we look and we see some stuff that is at one level a little bit obscure for us living here in Hastings in 1066 country, that it will give you a perspective of the gospel that maybe you haven't seen before. You, you, you may glimpse a sort of a, a depth to the gospel, which I hope will enrich um, your life and uh, your walk with Jesus. Now, the whole of Leviticus is about how can a sinful people approach a holy God? And we're going to be continuing to uh, look at that uh, together. Brilliant. So today we're going to look at the subject of ritual purity. Anyone read a book on ritual purity before? I hadn't before this morning, okay? So I've never preached on anything like this. I don't think I've ever heard a preach on anything like this. So we're looking at Leviticus chapters 11 through to 15. And these are some of the things that we will be considering together. Clean and unclean animals... What could end up on an Israelite's meal table? Skin diseases, rashes, boils, sores and seeping wounds. And just to let you know at the end when we do ministry time, I do not want to see any of those, okay? So I don't want anyone coming in front to show me their boil or anything else. Um, Mould in houses. Purification after childbirth. And then just to top it off, if that hasn't been bad enough, bodily discharges in Leviticus chapter 15. So that, that's basically what we are... We, maybe we, Let's not say I'm going to look at it, because that's probably not the right way. But, but we, will, we will consider some of these things together. Let me read Leviticus chapter 13, 18 through to 20, just as an example. That if you turn and read these chapters, this is what you'll find if there is in the skin of one's body a boil and it heals and in the place of the boil there comes a white swelling or a reddish white spot then it shall be shown to the priest caveat do not show me I do not want to know the priest shall look and if it appears to be deeper than the skin and its hair has turned white then the priest shall pronounce him unclean it is a case of leprous disease that has broken out in the boil now pretty much All five or six chapters are like that, which is why, if you're reading it, it's quite nice when you get to the end of it. So what on earth is going on? What is it that we can learn from this? And I do genuinely believe that this can enrich our understanding of the wonderful salvation that we've got. Now we've got to remember the first half of Leviticus is about how a sinful people can draw near to a holy God. So if we can pop the next slide up, please, Jan. Basically, what we find and what, the, what Leviticus describes is everything and everyone is either holy or common. So if you're holy, you're set apart and dedicated to God. God. The priest, the tabernacle, the altar, the ark, these things, these people are holy. They are separate for God. They have access to God in various ways. Everyone else, so that would be all of us here, are common. I don't know if you've ever thought of yourself that way, but that's how you'd be described if you lived um, as an Israelite at the time Leviticus was being written. And and that means you are not holy. There is a separation. If we can go on to the next slide, please, Jen. So ritual purity, which is what we're looking at today, is all about how the common people can draw near to the holy, whether it's to God or things set aside for him. Everything that is common is either clean or unclean. Are you following me? So it's holy and common, and then with the common, it's either clean or unclean. Ritual purity is all about whether you're clean or you're unclean. So what is eaten? The boils on your skin, other skin diseases, childbirth, sex. Some of these these things can make us unclean and therefore we cannot or the Israelites could not approach the holy. Next slide please, Jan. The most important thing to know, and I've just mentioned it here, is that the unclean cannot come into contact with a holy God or things that are dedicated to him. Is that all, does that all make sense? Nodding heads, you sort of grasping it. So the unclean cannot come into contact with the holy. So if you were an Israelite and you heard Leviticus, you are really concerned about remaining clean because if you're not... You cannot approach God. You cannot come before God. It was vitally important if you want to dwell with God and draw near to him. Another really important thing to state here is that this isn't a matter of sin. The truth is that the Israelites, they could become unclean in the course of everyday life. They hadn't necessarily done anything wrong. So having sex or having a baby are good and proper, they're part of creation, yet afterwards you would be unclean for a period of time. Mold growing in your house, you know, you've not done anything wrong because you've got mold growing in your house, but that could make you or make the building you're living in unclean, it would make you ritually unclean. Let me try and bring another illustration to help you. Um, If we could have the next slide please Jan, you're doing brilliantly well. I want to use the illustration of a hospital to try and help you to understand. If you are sick, if I am sick and I wanted to visit someone in hospital right now, go over there, maybe I've got the flu, I wouldn't be able to enter the hospital, they wouldn't want me to go in because I've got flu. You could say it's a little bit like being unclean. I haven't I haven't sinned in any way, I've I've just got sick, it's the state that I am in. But if I'm healthy, I can go into the hospital and visit a friend and that is absolutely fine. It's a bit like being clean, being able to approach. But I wouldn't be able to go into an operating theatre with them because you need to be sterile, to be in a sterile environment and clothing yourselves with the right clothes and washing your hands to go into the operating theatre. And This is a little bit like what's going on in Leviticus. It's it's, it's not about sin, it's not about good or bad, it's just that sometimes in the course of human life, you get into this situation, or the the Israelites did, where they could not approach God. Let me try and use another illustration to help you um, to, uh, to grasp this. I must admit, in my prep it took me a while to try and get my head together on this. Let's take one example from Leviticus chapter 11, which is clean and unclean animals, which is all about what food ends up on your meal table. So let me read this to you. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, These are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. This gets me confused even just reading it, but anyway, bear, you know, I'm sure you're brighter than me. Whatever parts the hoof and is cloven footed and chews the cud, among the animals you may eat. Nevertheless, among those that chew the cud or part the hoof, you shall not eat these. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, it is unclean to you. The rock badger. What oh, else a rock badger? Anyway. Because it chews the cud, but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the hare, because it chews the cud, but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed, but it does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. You shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. So, um, if we could pop the next slide up, please, Jan. Jan. Brilliant. So it's a slide we've used before. I'm trying to uh, illustrate it with the food that we can eat. Basically, you have the holy, you have God and things that have been dedicated to God. You then have the clean. And I've listed just some of the animals below that are classed as clean ox, sheep, goat, deer. But the unclean, things that you could not eat if you were an Israelite at that time and you couldn't touch their carcass of a, of a dead animal, would be the pig the rock badger, the camel, the hare, but then there's a whole load of other birds and fish and shellfish, all sorts of things like that. Now, you may be sat here right now thinking, Paul, why on earth are you telling us this? You know, why are some animals clean and other animals are unclean? Well, truth is the Bible just doesn't tell us. Some clever theologians have tried to explain it, but to be honest, it doesn't really stack up. It just, we, we don't know. But we do know why these laws are given. And these laws were given to communicate that people need to be pure and perfect in all areas of life if you're going to draw near to God because he is holy. The God that we worship is Holy. And you need to be pure and perfect if you're going to approach him. God wants a people who are set apart for him in every aspect of life, down to what's on the meal table, in order for people to draw near to him. Now, I'm just going to give you 30 seconds. You can turn to the person next to you. This is a test to see if you've even listened or understood any of it. Um, And well done if you have. Imagine if you had to live by these food laws today, and we don't, but imagine if you did. What effect would it have on you, other than a fry-up, which would be diminished you know, massively um, with those rules? But what would, it, what would it look like if you had to live by these food laws? How would it affect mealtime, shopping, things like that? 30 seconds, turn to the person next to you, try and work out what would it look like if you lived by these brilliant. If I can ask you to draw your um, conversations to a closed. So barbecued rock badger is off the menu, we know that much. So what about us? We, we, we never speak about ritual purity, do we? I mean, in actual fact, we've had, we've had church breakfasts where bacon rolls are the main part of what we have. So why on earth is it that ritual purity isn't of any importance or doesn't seem to be of any importance to us? This is what Jesus said about it in Mark chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. And he said to them, Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, cannot make him or her unclean? Since it enters not his heart but his stomach... And is expelled thus he declared all foods clean so in this one statement jesus put away all the rules to do with clean and unclean um, foods he said that's not important clean unclean animals what you eat isn't important anymore when it comes to, to to drawing near to god so you may be sat there thinking so okay It really isn't relevant to us now. Why have you spent all this time talking about this? But then what does Jesus go on and say in this passage in Mark 7? And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. It's what comes out of a person that makes him unclean. For from within and out of the heart of a man come evil thoughts... And have a look at this list as well, because there will be some things on there that are, you you would sit there going, there are really awful things. And then there'll be other things on this list that you might think are acceptable Christian sins. But Jesus just groups them all together. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, that's wanting stuff that you haven't got that someone else has got. Wickedness, deceit, sensuality, Envy, slander, talking badly about someone basically, pride, foolishness. All these all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. They make you unclean. These things create a barrier between you and God. You cannot draw near to God. If you have that sin in your heart, this is what Jesus is saying. It needs dealing with. Sin needs dealing with. And and that is why Jesus Christ came. He came to deal with the issue of sin that isn't something (coughs) external that is someone else's problem. It's an internal thing. It's in the heart of every human being on the face of the planet. We are born with an inbuilt barrier between us and God. We cannot draw near to a holy God. God God didn't just get less holy. God is as holy now as he has ever been. But he has dealt with the issue of sin and our rebellion by sending his son Jesus Christ to die in our place. So as we gather together as saints, we're able to gather not because we've kept the detail of the law to the nth degree. We can come with boldness and confidence because Jesus Christ has made a way for us. It isn't that our sin is of little account, it's that of Jesus' sacrifice is of massive account. He has dealt with every single thing. Now, Andrew spoke about it last week. He's going to be speaking about the Day of Atonement next week. It's going to be amazing as we understand something of that and what Jesus Christ has done for us. But the other result of Jesus coming, of him dying on the cross and rising again, is that he has changed both our position and a core part of our identity. You know, when we we listen to the news and media outlets, there is so much about identity, The Bible is very, very concerned about identity. And because of what Jesus Christ came, our core identity changed. Do you remember where I mentioned at the very beginning that there was the holy and the common? Everything was either in the holy section, and there wasn't very much in there at all. A priest or two, the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, a few things like that. And then everything else was in the common. It was separated from God. Not anymore. Because of what Jesus Christ has done, a core part of my identity has changed. If you are a Christian here, a core part of your identity has changed. It is absolutely brilliant news. And the Bible describes part of that change when he calls us saints. He says, you are no longer sinners. You are no longer common. You are no longer separated from God. But in Christ Jesus, you are now saints. You are holy ones. So you have moved from the common to the holy. You, you, you are there. So as you're gathering right now, you may not feel holy. You may think there's a load of things you have done that would make you unholy. But because you are hidden in Jesus Christ, a core part of your identity has now changed. You are a saint. And for over 200 times in the New Testament, Christians are called that. It's not just special Christians, any Christian, whether you're five years old or you're 95 years old, whether you think you're a good Christian or a bad Christian, you are a saint, you are a holy one. You can come right in, you can come right up to God, not because of anything you've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And when it comes to moral purity, you know, I was talking about all the stuff in the heart that comes out. I'm not looking to obey God to gain access because I've already got it. I'm looking to obey God because I've got access and because He's made me holy. Therefore, I want to please Him. If I am holy, I want to act holy. I want to take off stuff that puts barriers between me and God because I've got access. It isn't about obeying an external set of rules. It's about keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, Trinity who lives inside of me. It says that in Galatians chapter 5. Keep in step the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. And as I look to respond, and as you look to respond in faith and obedience to him, he grows fruit of a holy life within us. It is a wonderful privilege. So as we close, we're going to take the bread and wine. I want to invite you to remember, to celebrate, to take part in what Christ has achieved for us. We are no longer sinners. We are no longer in the common category anymore. We are holy ones. We are saints. We are clean. And we have great responsibility as holy ones to live that out in the everyday just think about it. If, if you were worried about those food laws, how you'd look at the ingredients on packets, how you'd think about what you were having for breakfast, lunch and dinner, how much more now should we think about how we live our lives and bring God into our every day? We, we, should, we shouldn't be sort of play fast and loose with God. Oh, I know I'm saved by grace. Now I can do what I want. No, I, I know I am saved by grace. I want to be diligent. In living out my salvation. I want to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. I want to be conscious about bringing God into my every day, my mealtimes, my work situations. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 11 and these are sober words about the bread and wine. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And I think you've all got little pots um, or you should have grabbed them on the way in. If not, I'm sure stewards are happy to hand them out to you. And there's wine in the bottom and there's this wafer thing of bread in the top. And it's, it's not as good, if I'm honest, as when you, know, you could break a loaf or you can do something like that. But it's, it's a way that we can have bread and wine together. And as we're doing that, we're remembering Jesus Christ died for us to pay the price for our sin. That I would no longer be on the outside with no access to God. That I'm able to come in and have full access to him. What does it go on and say? For as often as you eat this bread... And you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, if you're here today, and even as I'm talking and I read through that list, you know there's things of compromise in your life. Before you take the bread and the wine, you need to put them right with God. If you're not willing to put them right with God, I'd counsel you not to take the bread and wine. If the Holy Spirit's highlighting something to you, you need to pause. You see, the Corinthians, let's read what happened to the Corinthians. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. So it's important to pause consider. Did I gossip about that person? Have I spent more time coveting what my friend has got than worshipping Jesus? Do I need to put some of these things right? And then this is what it says, it's quite sobering, you wouldn't think to find this in the New Testament. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So I just want to give you just a few moments. First and foremost, just to thank God, if you're a Christian, that a core part of your identity has changed. You are in Christ. But then just a moment just to check yourself. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal if there is anything. And if we come and confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you don't know Jesus here today, don't take the bread and wine because it doesn't mean anything to you. But maybe just think about what you've heard. Maybe you want to talk to God because he's very close to you right now. So I'm just going to give you a few moments. And uh, Clive and Claire, can I just invite you to come back out? That'd be great. We're not going to have any music playing, because so I just want to give you a, a moment with your own thoughts. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are the ultimate sacrifice. Thank you you came to deal with sin that separated us from the Father, and I thank you you did it perfectly. Today we come and remember that. Lord, we celebrate that, and we are so grateful for it. Thank you that I am a holy one, that we are holy ones, that you have changed our position and you've changed our identity. Lord, we we, we all mess up, we all sin, and Lord, we bring that before you right now as we take the bread and wine. We bring it confident that you forgive our sins and you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord Jesus, we love you so much, and we are so grateful for your mercy, your grace, and your kindness. Have that flooded into our lives. Amen.